I'd better tell you briefly how I came into things now, said Miss Marple. Mr. Raphael, as you know, died. His lawyers asked me to come and see them, apprised me of his proposition. I received a letter from him which explained nothing. After that, I heard nothing more for some little time. Then I got a letter from the company who runs these tours saying that Mr. Raphael, before his death, had made a reservation for me, knowing that I should enjoy a trip very much and wanting to give it to me as a surprise present. I was very astonished, but took it as an indication of the first step that I was to undertake. I was to go on this tour, and presumably in the course of the tour, some other indication or hint or clue or direction would come to me. I think it did. Yesterday, no, the day before, I was received on my arrival here by three ladies who live at an old manor house here, and who very kindly extended an invitation to me. They had heard from Mr. Raphael, they said, who had written some time before his death, saying that a very old friend of his would be coming on this tour, and would they be kind enough to put her up for two or three days, as he thought she was not fit to attempt the particular ascent of this rather difficult climb up the headland to where there was a memorial tower, which was the principal event of yesterday's tour. And you took that also as an indication of what you were to do? Of course, said Miss Marple. There could be no other reason for it. He was not a man to shower benefits for nothing, out of compassion for an old lady who wasn't good at walking up hills. No, he wanted me to go there. And you went there? And what then? Nothing, said Miss Marple. Three sisters. Three weird sisters? They ought to have been, said Miss Marple, but I don't think they were. They didn't seem to be. Anyway, I don't know yet. I suppose they may have been. Well, they may be, I mean. They seem ordinary enough. They didn't belong to this house. It had belonged to an uncle of theirs, and they'd come here to live some years ago. They are in rather poor circumstances. They are amiable, not particularly interesting, all slightly different in type. They do not appear to have been well acquainted with Mr. Raphael. Any conversation I have had with them appears to yield nothing. So you learn nothing during your stay? I learnt the facts of the case... You just told me, not from them, from an elderly servant who started her reminiscences dating back to the time of the uncle. She knew of Mr. Raphael only as a name, but she was eloquent on the theme of the murder. It had all started with the visit here of a son of Mr. Raphael's, who was a bad lot, of how the girl had fallen in love with him, and that he'd strangled the girl, and how sad and tragic and terrible it all was. With bells on, as you might say, said Miss Marple, using a phrase of her youth. Plenty of exaggeration, but it was a nasty story, and she seemed to believe that the police view was that this hadn't been his only murder. It didn't seem to you to connect up with the three word sisters. No, only that they'd been the guardians of the girl and had loved her dearly. No more than that. They might know something, something about another man. Yes, that's what we want, isn't it? The other man, a man of brutality, who wouldn't hesitate to bash in a girl's head after he killed her. The kind of man who could be driven frantic with jealousy. There are men like that. No other curious things happen to the old manor? Not really. One of the sisters, the youngest, I think, kept talking about the garden. She sounded as though she was a very keen gardener, but she couldn't be because she didn't know the names of half the things. 
I laid a trap or two for her, mentioning special rare shrubs and saying, did she know it? And yes, she said, wasn't it a wonderful plant? I said it wasn't very hardy, and she agreed. But she didn't know anything about plants. Oh, that reminds me. Reminds you of what? Well, you'll think I'm just silly about gardens and plants, but I mean, one does know things about them. I mean, I know a few things about birds, and I know, I know some things about gardens. And I gather that it's not birds but gardens that are troubling you. Yes. Have you noticed two middle-aged women on this tour, Miss Barrow and Miss Cook? Yes, I've noticed them, a pair of middle-aged spinsters travelling together. That's right. Well, I found out something odd about Miss Cook. That is her name, isn't it? I mean, it's her name on the tour. Why, she got another name? I think so. She's the same person who visited me. I won't say visited me exactly, but she was outside my garden fence in St Mary Mead the village where I live. She expressed pleasure at my garden and talked about gardening with me, told me she was living in the village and working in somebody's garden, who'd moved into a new house there. I rather think, said Miss Marple, yes, I rather think that the whole thing was lies. There again, she knew nothing about gardening. She pretended to, but it wasn't true. Why do you think she came there? I had no idea at the time. She said her name was Bartlett, and the name of the woman she was living with began with H. I can't remember it for the moment. Her hair was not only differently done, but it was a different colour, and her clothes were of a different style. I didn't recognise her at first on this trip, just wondered why her face was vaguely familiar. And then suddenly it came to me, because of the dyed hair. I said, where had I seen her before? And she admitted that she'd been there but pretended that she too hadn't recognised me. All lies. And what's your opinion about all that? Well, one thing certainly. Miss Cook, to give her her present name, came to St Mary Me just to have a look at me, so that she'd be quite sure to be able to recognise me when we met again. And why was that felt to be necessary? I don't know. There are two possibilities. I'm not sure that I like one of them very much. I don't know, said Professor Wanstead, that I like it very much either. They were both silent for a minute or two, and then Professor Wanstead said, I don't like what happened to Elizabeth Temple. You've talked to her during this trip? Yes, I have. When she's better, I'd like to talk to her again. She could tell me, well, ask things about the girl who was murdered. She spoke to me of this girl who had been at her school, who'd been going to marry Mr. Raphael's son, but didn't marry him. Instead, she died. I asked how or why she died, and she answered with the word, love. I took it as meaning suicide, but it was murder. Murder through jealousy would fit. Another man, some other man we've got to find. Miss Temple may be able to tell us who he was. No other sinister possibilities? I think, really, it is casual information we need. I see no reason to believe that there is any sinister suggestion in any of the coach passengers, or any sinister suggestion about the people living in the old manor house, but one of those three sisters may have known or remembered something that the girl or Michael once said. Clotilde used to take the girl abroad. Therefore... She may know of something that occurred on some foreign trip, perhaps. 
something that the girl said or mentioned or did on some trip, some man the girl met, something which has nothing to do with the old manor house here. It's difficult because only by talking, by casual information, can you get any clue. The second sister, Mrs. Glynn, married fairly early and spent time, I gather, in India and in Africa. She may have heard of something through her husband or through her husband's relations, through various things that are unconnected with the old manor house here, although she's visited it from time to time. She knew the murdered girl, presumably, but I should think she knew her much less well than the other two. But that doesn't mean that she may not know some significant facts about the girl. The third sister is more scatty, more localised, doesn't seem to have known the girl as well. Still, she too may have information about possible lovers or boyfriends, seen the girl with an unknown man. That's her, by the way, passing the hotel now. Miss Marple, however occupied by her tete-a-tete, had not relinquished the habits of a lifetime. A public thoroughfare was always to her an observation post. All the passers-by, either loitering or hurrying, had been noticed automatically. Anthea Brad Briscott, the one with the big parcel. She's going to the post office, I suppose. It's just round the corner, isn't it? Looks a bit daft to me, said Professor Wanted, all that floating hair. Grey hair, too. Kind of Ophelia of fifty. I thought of Ophelia, too, when I first saw her. Oh, dear, I wish I knew what I ought to do next. Stay here at the Golden Boar for a day or two, or, or go on with the coach tour. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack. If you stick your fingers in it long enough, you ought to come up with something, even if one does get pricked in the process. Mrs. Sanborn returned just as the party was sitting down to lunch. Her news was not good. Miss Temple was still unconscious. She certainly couldn't be moved for several days. Having given the bulletin, Mrs. Sanborn turned the conversation to practical matters. She produced suitable timetables of trains for those who wished to return to London and proposed suitable plans for the resumption of the tour on the morrow or the next day. She had a list of suitable short expeditions in the near neighbourhood for this afternoon. Small groups in hired cars. Professor Wanstead drew Miss Marple aside as they were out of the dining room. You may want to rest this afternoon. If not... I will call for you here in an hour's time. There's an interesting church you might care to see. That would be very nice, said Miss Marple. Miss Marple sat quite still in the car that had come to fetch her. Professor Wanted to call for her at the time he had said. I thought you might enjoy seeing this particular church and a very pretty village too, he explained. There's no reason really why one should not enjoy the local sights when one can. Very kind of you, I'm sure, Miss Marple had said. She looked at him with that slightly fluttery gaze of hers. Very kind, she said. It just seems, well, I don't want to say it seems heartless, but, uh, well, you know what I mean. My dear lady, Miss Temple is not an old friend of yours or anything like that. Sad as this accident has been. Well, said Miss Marple again, this is very kind of you. Professor Wanstead had opened the door of the car, Miss Marple had got into it. It was, she presumed, a hard car. A kindly thought to take an elderly lady to see one of the sights of the neighbourhood. He might have taken somebody younger, more interesting and certainly better looking. Miss Marple looked at him thoughtfully 
once or twice as they drove through the village. He was not looking at her, he was gazing out of his own window. When they left the village behind, on a second-class country road twisting round the hillside, he turned his head and said to her, We're not going to a church, I'm afraid. No, said Miss Marple, I thought perhaps we weren't. Yes, the idea would have come to you. Where are we going, may I ask? We are going to a hospital in Caddistown. Ah, yes. That was where Miss Temple was taken. It was a question, though it hardly needed to be one. Yes, he said, Mr. Sanborn saw her and brought me back a letter from the hospital authorities. I've just finished talking to them on the telephone. Is she going on well? No, not going on very well. I see. At least I hope I don't see, said Miss Martha. Her recovery is very problematical, but there's nothing that can be done. She may not recover consciousness again. On the other hand, she may have a few lucid intervals. You're taking me there. Why? I'm not a friend of hers, you know. I, I just met her for the first time on this trip. Yes, I realise that. I'm taking you there because in one of the lucid intervals she's had, she asked for you. I see, said Miss Marple. I wonder why she should ask for me. Why she should have thought that I, that I could be useful in any way to her. Or do anything. She's a woman of perception. In her way, you know, a great woman. As headmistress of Fallowfield, she occupied a prominent position in the educational world. The best girl's school there is, I suppose. Yes, she was a great personality. She was herself a woman of considerable scholarship. Mathematics were her speciality, but she was an all-round, what I should call an educator. Was interested in education, what girls were fitted for, how to encourage them. Oh, many other things. It's sad and very cruel she dies, said Miss Marple. It'll seem such a waste of a life. Although she had retired from her headmistressship, she still exercised a lot of power. This accident, she stopped. Perhaps you don't want us to discuss the accident. I think it better that we should do so. A big boulder crashed down the hillside. It has been known to happen before, though only a very long divided intervals of time. However, somebody came and spoke to me about it, said Professor Wanstead. Came and spoke to you about the accident? Well, who was it? The two young people, Joanna Crawford and Emlyn Price. What did they say? Joanna told me that she had the impression there was someone on the hillside, rather high up. She, she and Emlyn were climbing up from the lower main path, following a rough track that wound round the curve of the hill. As they turned a corner, she definitely saw, outlined against the skyline, a man or a woman who was trying to roll a big boulder forward along the ground. The boulder was rocking, and finally it started to roll, at first slowly, and then gathering speed down the hillside. Miss Temple was walking along the main path below, and had come to a point just underneath when the boulder hit her. If it was done deliberately, it might not, of course, have succeeded. It might have missed her, but it did succeed. If what was being attempted was a deliberate attack on the woman walking below, it succeeded only too well. Was it a man or a woman, they saw, asked Miss Marple. Unfortunately, Joanna Crawford couldn't say Whoever it was was wearing jeans or trousers and had on a lurid polo neck 
pullover in red and black check. The figure turned and moved out of sight almost immediately. She's inclined to think it was a man. We cannot be certain. And she thinks, or you think, that it was a deliberate attempt on Miss Temple's life. The more she mulls it over, the more she thinks that that was exactly what it was. The boy agrees. We have no idea who it might have been. No idea whatever. No more of they. Might be one of our fellow travellers, someone who went for a stroll that afternoon. It might be someone completely unknown who knew that the coach was making a halt there and chose his place to make an attack on one of the passengers. Some youthful lover of violence for violence's sake. Or it might have been an enemy. It seems very melodramatic if one says, A secret enemy, said Miss Marple. Yes, it does. Who would want to kill a retired and respected headmistress? That is a question we want answered. It's possible, faintly possible, that Miss Temple herself might be able to tell us. She might have recognised the figure above her, or she might more likely to have known of someone who bore her ill will for some special reason. Still seems unlikely. I agree with you, said Professor Wanted. She seems a totally unlikely person to be a fit victim of attack. But yet, when one reflects, a headmistress knows a great many people, and a great many people, shall we put it this way, have passed through her hands. A lot of girls, you mean, have passed through her hands. Yes, yes, that's what I mean. Girls and their families. A headmistress must have knowledge of many things. Romances, for instance, that girls might indulge in, unknown to their parents. It happens, you know. Happens very often, especially in the last ten or twenty years. Girls are said to mature earlier. That is physically true, though in a, a deeper sense of the word, they mature late. They remain childish longer. Childish in the clothes they like to wear, childish in their floating hair. Even their miniskirts represent a worship of childishness. Their baby doll nightdresses, their gym slips and shorts, all children's fashions. They wish not to become adults, not to have to accept our kind of responsibility. And yet, like all children, they want to be thought grown-up and free to do what they think are grown-up things. And that leads sometimes to tragedy and sometimes to the aftermath of tragedy. Are you thinking of some particular case? No. No, not really. I'm, I'm only thinking, well, shall we say, letting possibilities pass through my mind. I cannot believe that Elizabeth Temple had a personal enemy. An enemy ruthless enough to wish to take an opportunity of killing her. What I do think, he looked at Miss Marvel, would you like to make a suggestion of a possibility? Well, I think I know or guess what you are suggesting. You are suggesting that Miss Temple knew something, knew some fact or had some knowledge that would be inconvenient or even dangerous to somebody if it was known. Yes, I do feel exactly that. In that case, said Miss Marple, it seems indicated that there is someone on our coach tour who recognised Miss Temple or who knew who she was, but who perhaps, after the passage of some years, was not remembered or might even not have been recognised by Miss Temple. It seems to throw it back on our passengers, does it not? That pullover you mentioned, red and black checks, you said? Oh, yes, the pullover, he looked at her curiously. What was it that struck you about that? It was very noticeable, said Miss Marple. That is what your words led me to infer. It was very mentionable. So much so that the girl Joanna mentioned it specifically. 
Yes, and what does that suggest to you? The trailing of flags, said Miss Marple thoughtfully. Something that will be seen, remembered, observed, recognised. Yes, Professor Wanted looked at her with encouragement. When you describe a person you've seen, seen not close at hand but from a distance, the first thing you will describe will be their clothes, not their faces, not their walk, not their hands, not their feet. A scarlet tamashanta, a purple cloak, a bizarre leather jacket, a pullover of brilliant reds and blacks, something very recognisable, very noticeable. 